followed that, and it's, it's been a fascinating thing to me to see. Last week, Mark talked about missions that true Bible believers have always had a passion to share the good news. And, um, and in understanding that passion, how God is, has been committed to missions even when we as people weren't. And much of the time, last week after class, Mark and I talked some about the aspect that, you know, William Carey was one of the first, as we know, missionaries. But up until that time, People were carrying the gospel, not knowing that they were missionaries, carrying the gospel because of persecution. Um, and they really didn't have much of a thought of, we need to take the gospel someplace else. They were just trying to save their necks, basically. They were just trying to survive. And in their survival mode, they went, and, and we've seen how the gospel then spread up into uh, Holland and from Asia Minor and up through Europe as we know it now and, and then to England. And, and it, is, it is fascinating to me that there is no explanation for the spread of the gospel except God. There was, there was no... One organization that said, okay, this is our 20-year plan and this is what we're going to take it here and here. You cannot, you cannot see the history of Christianity without saying, this has to be God's work. Because man, we have tried to mess it up every way possible. Seriously. And, and yet... God's truth just keeps marching on. And uh, it's, it's so fascinating to me to see. But how, how God is gifted, last week as Mark was talking about William Carey, and just how God gifted him in languages. I mean, that is a gift of God that God mightily used. But God has raised up people. And William Tyndale uh, lived in the late, 1400s and early 1500s, and he translated the Bible from the old Latin. And it's, it's interesting how God laid on, uh, on people's hearts the burden to do certain things, but then how he gifted them. Tyndale was skilled in seven languages. You know, I struggle with English. But he was skilled in Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Italian, Spanish, English, and French. I mean, not just that he could say, hi, how are you, in those. He was skilled in those. And, and God gifted him, and God put on his, his burden on his heart to translate the Scriptures into the common man's language. And... Uh, Tyndale said, I defy the Pope and all his laws, and if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause that a boy that driveth the plow will know more of the Scripture than you do. This is what Tyndale said to a Roman prelate, uh, a Roman 
ruler. And uh, Tyndale, um, first edition of the Bible was printed in 1525. Now, now think, let's put this into perspective. We struggle, generally speaking, with reading the whole Bible. How about translating the whole Bible? I mean, put it, just even take the book of John. You know, if you were told this week, I want you to go begin work on translating. Even if you knew another language, that would be a tedious work. But how God put this burden on people's hearts, because the work of God is built on the Word of God. And that's the first and foremost Baptist distinctive that the Bible is our only rule for authority and practice. And Tyndale's passion and Tyndale's determination, you know, I defy the Pope if God gives me the years to translate this. We're going to put the Word of God so that every boy that's walking behind a plow will know more of the Scriptures than you do. And uh, in making that, that statement, um, he was strangled and burned in Germany in 1536 after all this work. But his proofreader, a man by the name of Miles Coverdale... Um, received uh, the text and went on and, and Coverdale then published another Bible. You may have heard of the Coverdale Bible. I, I thought it's fascinating that he was a proofreader for Tyndale. Tyndale was uh, strangled and burned. Um, it, and again, just a side note, it's one thing to strangle someone. It's another thing to be so filled with venom and hatred toward them that you, after you strangle them, you say, we're going to burn them and destroy every semblance of them. But that's the, there's this cosmic battle that goes on. Satan hates the work of God. <coughs> and he uses religions and he uses whatever he can, but regardless... The truth marches on. And it, it to me is just incredible how, how God used uh, the Word of God. And, and again, it's, it's committed to the Word. Um, this morning in the morning service, we're going to be looking in Peter and uh, related to the Word. But um, through the years, there was the Williams Bible in the mid-1500s and Another Bible called the Great Bible that was translated, the Geneva Bible. And um, all these translations were getting the Word of God out. Let me just kind of a rabbit trail. Um, regardless of how we stand on whether you think we should have gone to war in Iraq, one of the things that it did, it took the Word of God to nations that had been denied it for years. And once you turn loose the Word of God, 
There's no stopping it. And um, there is great revival going on in, in many of these nations because the Word has been brought there. And, and thank God for people that were committed. And even today, there are people committed to translating Scriptures into languages that don't have the Word of God. I mean, we take it for granted. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter or whatever. We just take that for granted. But um, the, the ministry of the Word of God is such a powerful thing. And uh, because of that, because the Bible was translated in, into English, and the plowboy had access to it, and the plowboy was able to read the Word of God... Um, Truth marched on. And in England, as we've seen, the Anglican Church was the state church. It was, um, again, there was no um, dividing of that. You were, as an infant, baptized into the Anglican Church and and so on. And it was a mandatory thing. But... um, there arose, as we've already seen, there were many thousands of Bible believers. There were many thousands of Baptists in England. And, um, and there, there came those that were committed to truth, that wanted to purify the Anglican church. And there were also a group of people that then said, there's no purifying it. We want to separate from it. We identify these groups, we're more familiar with the Puritans. They wanted to purify the Anglican church. And the pilgrims, which said, no, we're more interested in separating from the Anglican church. And um, there, there were groups of people that because of the persecution that was taking place in England that if you were not part of the Anglican Church and didn't march to their beat, um, there was great persecution that was going on. And uh, it was specifically targeted to those like, of like mind as we are today. So people started searching, where can we go to worship according to our conscience. And if you're familiar with American history even slightly, you know that uh, many of them went to, to Holland. Um, in fact, entire congregation. There was a, a Scrooby congregation that, that went to Holland. Um, there was another congregation, that uh, Gainsborough congregation that went to Holland. They went to Amsterdam, and in Amsterdam, they met up with um, followers of uh, Simon Menno, or Mennonites. They were exposed to the truth, as we've seen before, and um, they really started being able to put together. They knew the, the persecution was wrong. They put together the aspect of believer's baptism. They, they understood that infant baptism, you know, 
where do we find it in the Bible? And just the statement that, well, because it's not prohibited, that didn't carry weight with them. They were exposed to uh, these followers of uh, Simon Menno and um, Menno Simon, Menno Simon, the Mennonites, <laughs> and um, and as they were, they embraced this truth. But even in Amsterdam. They said, you know, the influence of this city on our families and on our people is not conducive to what we're trying to do. And uh, they moved together to Leiden. And um, in order to worship God in peace, um, and they were uh, desirous of being making a clean break from any state church. Not just establishing a a community that was favorable to what they believed and establish their belief as a state church, but to really make a clean break um, from from the state church. But even in Holland, they came under under persecution. And... um, Now, you're talking about the group that we refer to as the pilgrims. Right. Right. Not the Puritans. Right. A lot of people, unfortunately, put those two groups together because they both start with a P. <laughs> but uh, they're not the same by a long shot. And, and again, remember the, the major difference here is the Puritans <coughs> wanted to stay in the Anglican or the Reformed churches and just purify some of the things that were wrong. But they, they didn't see an issue, and we're going to see here shortly, they didn't have an issue with a, a government-sponsored church. In fact, they established it. But um, the pilgrims had an issue with that. And that's where we identify with them. And... Um, you know, there's many that identify with the Puritans but don't really realize what the Puritans stand for. We, we are not for a theocracy um, in the sense that um, there's not going to be a theocracy on earth until God rules in the thousand-year reign with the rod of, uh, of iron. Because um, mankind is corrupt and, and you, you establish, you rob people of the will and the freedom of liberty of conscience and, um, and you, you create, um, what do you create, Mark? You create heavy-handedness. It's not, it's not out of... Um, Love for God, it's not, you have to be this. And um, it's easy for we as believers in our passion for things that are right to say, boy, if we could elect a godly man and make all these godly rules and make this a Christian nation. Well, you can't make people love God. I'm not saying you can't legislate morality. You have to legislate morality. I mean, you have to give laws that are guidelines. But the the fact of the matter is, this issue of separation 
and, and it's been so polluted and perverted, this issue of no state church is fundamental to our nation. And the vast majority of people don't understand that we have this liberty because of Baptist forefathers that were committed to this to the point of death. Probably more than any other group. Not probably more than any other group. The Baptists uh, set aside this idea of separation of church and state. You know, the, the idea of a theocracy is appealing. It, it really is a, 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 a government based on faith. But that's not what theocracy really is. A, a true theocracy would be a government led by God. Not led by a God-fearing man, led by God. And we collect Mike Huckabee. Okay? <laughs> it still wouldn't be... He's not God, right? He's a God-fearing man, but he's not God. The, the, uh, and, and groups who claim to have a theocracy today, like Iran, it's not a theocracy because it's not really led by God, obviously. It's led by men. And so it's not a theocracy. Throughout the history of the world, really the only time there's been a true theocracy has been Israel under the t times of the judges, before King Saul ever came along. And then it ceased to be a theocracy, and it really didn't work that well even that way, because the people, not only do you have to be led by God, but you have to follow then God. All right? And, and you know, we are not there. The only place today that a theocracy can and should work is in each individual's heart. Amen. That is the only place for theocracy. You know, and if we all have our personal theocracy, everything else will go fine. But there's probably three theocracies in the whole world that way, you know, in individual people's hearts, because we want to be on the throne rather than putting God on the throne. And this, <coughs> this goes back, God said to Israel, you don't want a king like the other nations. Oh, I'll yes, be your we king. do. Yes, we <laughs> do. And, and from that it shows the heart of man. The heart of man wants to run his own life. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and we're still saying the same thing today. And uh, they said, no, but, we want but, a king. But he's going to tax you. He's going to take your sons, put them in the army. He's going to make exact. your daughters go. Nah, 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 nah. Oh, that's what we want. And what do we want? We want one who's tall and good looking. They didn't want it. They didn't want a godly. They wanted somebody who was tall and good looking. Somebody who looks good on TV. You know, that's who the that, that's who the Israelites wanted. Exactly. That's who the British want. That's, that's who, who we, we want. want. Yeah. And it's um, when you have a someone who's has ultimate authority. Yes, but but it's not. <coughs> and he's the know, only place where theocracy And works. Satan loves to distract us. We'll fight for everything else to get God ruling there, <laughs> but we're not fighting to get him ruling here. 
And as Mark said, if we'd get him ruling here, um, other things would take care of themselves. But um, it's, it's easy to think that even America was started as a Christian nation. It was very favorable to Christianity, but at the same time, um, not by any stretch of the imagination were all the founding fathers Bible-believing, born-again Christians. Many of them were God-fearing, but they, they weren't uh, followers of Jesus Christ. But, okay, you know, we, right now, we have so many of us are fearing for our religious liberties and fearing for our, for our liberties, period. And there's some basis to that fear. Um, but if we really look at the history of Christianity, missions is the key. God is going to move His Word throughout the world. And we can either volunteer to go or He's going to send us one way or another. <laughs> and if we don't volunteer to go, you can mark down that the persecution is going to make us flee. But isn't that mission not just abroad, but it's still right here? Yeah, right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Can't, there's no argument about that. But if we Excuse don't me. do it here, we're sure not. Right. But, but if, we, if we close off ourselves to missions, I mean, that, the word has got to be spread throughout the world, throughout Lucas County, throughout Iowa, throughout the United States, and throughout the whole world. And... When we stop sending, and, and the number of missionaries being sent from the United States has declined dramatically, then, we, then you, can, you can, I mean, just look at history. God, God says, okay, no problem. You don't want to send them? Well, I'll send you. I'll send you pack them one way or another. And... Yeah. yeah. Yes, but absolutely. But that I'm, I, that's a separate thing of what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, God, look at the history. God takes it from here to here to here to here to here, and we got to be willing to go. We've got yes, you got to be willing to go across the street, but we've also got to be willing to go to Afghanistan. We got to be willing to go. Just to try to connect these things. We, we stop this when we've stopped that. And, and see, when we as Christians are more concerned about God meeting our needs and God doing for us, than us, how can I reach my neighbor? How can I reach my, my person I work with? How can I reach um, the people we're around? When, when you lose that, for a while, you, you still support missions.
Because, well, that's the Christian thing to do. A church is supposed to send missionaries, you know. But if you'll look, because we've quit being the light here, we have no light to export. And, and when that really stops, that's uh, the terminal stages, so to speak, of the disease. So these two are hand in glove, and, and you know, it falls right back in our lap again. I'm, I'm interested in, in this account. Uh, the pilgrims really had a passion for um, freedom to worship God. You know the account of the Mayflower and, and that, and we're not going to take the time to go into that today. But in reading it, just incredible, um, the provisions of God. And, and I said we wouldn't go into it, so we won't go into it today. But they started prospering, the pilgrims, after their, <laughs> their first rough years. At the same time in England, uh, a man by the name of William Loud was made the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he was relentless in persecuting anyone that did not march fully with the Anglican Church, any dissenters. He hated the Puritans, and he tried to silence them. So the Puritans started hearing of the pilgrims and the good successes they were having. As a result of um, the persecution that was heightened under William Loud, um, they started then taking ships to the New World. And the Puritans settled in the Massachusetts area. Um, in that area, they brought with them their flawed thinking. They had their own church, and uh, everyone that was a member of their community had to be a member of their church. The church and the community were inseparable and uh, they were reproducing the same flaws of the reformers of before, the same heirs. And in the Massachusetts area, um, we'll go on and see that they themselves were persecuting people that didn't match up the same way that they did. They, but, they saw the government as the muscle of the church. Yep. And, and the sustainer of the church. They could not comprehend how can a church exist without governmental support. But um, again, it's, I don't want to paint a picture that um, Puritans were, were completely bad, but... But they were. <laughs> <laughs> Were it not for pilgrims, we wouldn't have what we have here today, the liberty that we have here today. And to me, God used all of these people. Unless you think, you know, William Loud didn't come into power, um, sneak in without God notice. God used him, <coughs> even as God is using Barack Obama today. We don't like to think that way. But God is still in control. And He's working His purposes. 
But, um, you know, the Puritans came to America to escape the brutality of the Church of England. And when they landed here, these Reformed children of Rome were faced with the same questions that dogged Luther and Calvin. Where does the authority of the church begin and end? Would the new world have a feudal government and a religious establishment, or would they have a civil government and religious liberties? And sad to say, uh, the Puritan forefathers chose the former. They chose a feudal government and a religious establishment married together. And, uh, and these first Americans, for the overwhelming majority, were incapable of mutual forbearance. Their, this religious intolerance that they'd learned in England and they fled because it was persecuting me, they brought with them and this religious intolerance continued into the 19th century. And, um, and Roger Williams is a man that, that really ended up being a key figure to stand against it. He was persecuted in, in Massachusetts. It was designed to be the Holy Commonwealth, meaning that the state, is establishing the church. It wanted to distance itself from the Church of England, but it wanted to set up its own replica in the New World. I could never be a Puritan. They don't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> they don't. And in fact, uh, you could go to jail for having a Christmas tree. Um, it was in, it was in uh, 1635 in October of 1635, that Roger Williams was actually um, prosecuted and found guilty in Massachusetts for new and dangerous opinions against authorities. Um, and it was, his, the authority was the church. That in 1635, the Boston Court of Deputies passed a law requiring all citizens to take the oath of the free man. <coughs> it's kind of a contradiction in terms. The oath said that a man must swear allegiance to the commonwealth government and be a member in good standing of the congregational or the standing order church. And because Roger Williams believed the oath to be unscriptural, and he preached against it in 1635. He was arrested and, and banished from, from the colony. Now, keep in mind, to be banished from a colony in this, it's like you're turned loose like a wild animal out in the, out in the forest. I mean, out with the Native Americans and so on, which... Because of um, the white man's attitude, um, the Native Americans had a bad attitude toward white men. And much of this goes back to um, the law of patents. It was a, we think of a patent on something, 
the law of patents was a law, a policy begun by the popes, but um, it authorized Christian kings to claim land that they deemed not inhabited and to take it regardless of who owned it. And many of the Puritans came to America and said, well, we believe in the law of patent. Roger Williams said, this is nothing but thievery. This is robbery. And um, Can I jump back back a step? Was that when, when he was found guilty in October, his wife was was about to have a baby. I mean, she was like seven or eight months pregnant. And they allowed him to stay, uh, even though he was banished for a short time because, because of that. Uh, he was not allowed to leave his property. He was not allowed to preach. He was not allowed to share his thoughts at all. And as a result... Um, well, he, he was there. Many of his his followers, or people who agreed with him, started coming to his home rather than him going out, and that, of course, riled up the Puritans as well. And they were coming to arrest him. They were coming to to uh, to take him away. And there was real possibility that he was going to be executed. Uh, and so um, he uh, he got word that they were coming for him, and he had to flee. Now, we're talking he was convicted in October. We're looking at the end of December, the early January, the coldest time of the year, and New England is not a great place to be in the coldest time of the year. So he fled, and unlike the Puritans, he had made friends with, with the uh, Narragansett chiefs, um, and, and Indians, and so they they took him in. And and let me just add here, he made friends with them again because he had a great burden for the salvation of them. Again, it comes back to missions, and he he began to learn their language. He began to witness to them. This was even back when he was in Massachusetts. And he, he learned their language. He wrote a book in their dialect protesting the law of patents and presenting the gospel. And because of missions, God opened the door. Go ahead. Well, and he, he barely survived the winter and then ended up in what's now Rhode Island. Um, and... The Indians were willing to give him land to to found a new city. He refused to take the land. He he said, "We're not going to no." If for generations now the whites had come to America and just taken the land, even if these people are willing to give it to us, the the Narragansetts, we're going to pay for it, and. So, so Providence was really the first city in America that that the Europeans actually bought the land from the from the natives. Do you want to say any more on that? Or? Um, and and it's really fascinating how God led Roger Williams and provided for him in Providence, Rhode Island. I mean, 
as as he came, he crossed the, his Jordan, so to speak, but he crossed this river in a canoe, and um, as he came to the other side, and with an Indian accent, a man, he didn't know who would be there to meet him, a man with an Indian accent said, what cheer? It was a, a familiar greeting of charity. And it was um, the Indian that God had prepared beforehand. It's from Shakespeare. To welcome him. I don't know about from Shakespeare. It, but it, it's, what cheer is from Shakespeare? Also the name of a town in Iowa. That's like right. Uh, that's right. But... Um, <laughs> He, with his wife and two children and 11 followers, left and uh, God led them to what he ended up. He was on the run for 14 weeks as a fugitive. God led him then to what they called Providence, Providence, Rhode Island. And, um, and that's 14 weeks in the dead of winter. Right, right. And two years later... Because of the um, stunning success, the blessing of God, um, they, they established a government and they established the Providence Compact. And let me just close today by just reading this Providence Compact. We whose names are underwritten, being desirous to inhabit, inhabit the town of Providence, do promise to submit ourselves in active or passive obedience to all such orders or agreements as shall be made for public good and the body in an orderly way by the major consent of the present inhabitants, matter of families incorporated together into a township, and such others whom they shall admit unto the same only in civil things. And that last phrase, they said, we are compacting together we're going to submit to what we as collectively vote, but they drew the, line, the, the lines only in civil matters. This was the first time this had ever been done. Not in religious matters, not in spiritual matters. This was the liberty of conscience. And um, this really ended up being the foundation of what God preserved so that we have the liberties we have today. You said you were going to end on the back? I was going to okay, end. Okay, okay good. The, the, uh, uh, one of the things, there's a group of Baptists, you know, there are more groups of Baptists than there are any, there's more than Pastor Robbins has ice cream. And, That's uh, for sure. and we have, um, there's one group called Landmark Baptists. And Landmark Baptists believe that you got to, to be part of the Landmark Baptists, you got to be baptized by somebody who's baptized by somebody who's baptized by somebody who's baptized by somebody that goes back to the apostles. Well, if we have any heritage with Roger Williams, that would not be the case because um, Ezekiel Holman was one of those, those first people that came with um, with Roger Williams and and he had strong Baptist Baptistic beliefs as did Williams but neither was really a Baptist um, and so um, in uh, in 1638 Holloman 
baptized Williams uh, there and as the first member of, of the Baptist church there, one of the first members of the Baptist church there in Providence, which is the oldest Baptist church in America. And then Williams baptized Holloman and his family. Um, they, there was no line of succession there at all of I baptize this and, baptize, and ba- they baptized each other. Um, into this and, and the, the connection with the previous Baptist churches was strictly the Holy Spirit again and the Word of God. The, uh, if you visit the Capitol, if you have visited the Capitol in days gone past, up on the first floor outside of the, uh, the in the House of Columns, outside the House of Representatives in the Capitol, you would find a a sculpture, a beautiful sculpture of Roger Williams, the, the father of American religious liberty and a plaque about religious liberty um, and how important that is. And it's, like I said, for, for like a century, it stood outside of the United States House of Representatives. It's now in the basement of the United States Capitol. It was replaced by the suffragettes and a plaque about the importance of... Uh, Feminism. Really? Yeah. <laughs> We've come a long way, right? Come a long way, baby. Yeah. <coughs> I'll end on that. Right? All right. Yeah. <laughs> on that. On that upper. <laughs> All right. Let's pray together. <coughs> Lord, we stand in amazement at the hand of you throughout history, that there would be no history without you. And Lord, we acknowledge today the grace of you in our own personal lives and in the heritage of this land, but Lord, it's not this land that is important, it is you. And we bow before you, and I pray that today the truth would find good ground in our hearts. And I pray that you truly would be the ruler of our individual lives. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.